Hello and welcome to a new series of The Sporty Scoop, a podcast made by Queen's students for Queen's students, talking all things sport on campus and in the wider sporting world. My name is Laura McCann and I'm delighted to say we have a packed first show back. In this episode, I chat with Northern Ireland and Glen Thorne forward Carrie Beattie about her fine goal and scoring form for her club, as well as what it was like to play for her country at Windsor Park. I'll also be joined by QUB student Rory Morrow to talk about the incredible US Open final, as well as all this weekend's Premier League action. Finally, we'll have a roundup of the main talking points from an exciting weekend of Northern Irish sport, which you may have missed. So I'm now joined by Glenn Torn, striker Carrie Beattie. Carrie, you're very welcome on the first episode of this year's Sporty Scoop. And, you know, you've had a great season so far, Glenn Torn. How have you found it? Uh, thanks very much for having me. Um, I find it really, really good. Obviously, on a personal level, I've been doing really well um, in terms of scoring goals. But just as a team, I think we've done really, really well. We've gelled well. Uh, started the season, we were sort of getting used to, you know, new players and, um, I think we've just sort of found our feet and it's going really well at the minute. Yeah, you know, as you said, it's kind of a rocky start to the season and then you've built up the momentum and since then, you know, you've won such a run of games. But have you found, you know, even at this particular at the start of the season, the standard of the league's increased with the likes of Sion, Cliftonville and Crusaders, you know, pushing it really close? Yeah, definitely. I think last season, sort of, we just, you know, sort of dominated everything and, you know, I think it's good when there's competition. Obviously, it's coming down to Wednesday night's game, basically, uh, against Cliftonville. Uh, and it's a really good finale to the season because it makes it more exciting. Uh, but the standard of the league has definitely got better. And I suppose better players, the likes of Lauren Wade and stuff coming back from Scotland, you know, brings quality to the league. And uh, the teams are only getting stronger. Yeah, and you know, you've mentioned the game against Cliftonville, as you've said, everybody's building it as a title decider, you know, it should be a great occasion. I'm obviously supporting Cliftonville, unfortunately for you. Uh, but, um, unfortunately. <laughs> but, you know, people are calling it, you know, such a huge game. Do you prepare for it differently compared to your previous games or is that not the mentality you take? You just go out and take every game as it comes? Obviously, we prepare differently in terms of tactics and stuff like that. But ultimately, it just comes down to doing the the things that you know really well. And, um, you know, it's worked so far this season. As I said, it was a rocky start, but, you know, we found our fate. So we just got to keep on doing what we're doing. And um, it's mostly about what you can control outside in terms of, you know, on the lead up to the game, what are you eating? You know, are you drinking right? It's more stuff like that because the stuff on the pitch has already been sorted and planned. Yeah, and, you know, obviously Glenthorne top of the league. I'm sure you have ambitions of retaining the title and as well in two cup finals. Going into the season, you know, looking back, was it the ambition, you know, to win all the trophies you previously had and enjoy a stellar campaign like you did last year? Yeah, um, with, you know, we hold all the trophies. So, you know, we want to keep them in the cabinet ultimately. And we knew that um, Cliftonville were coming after us and, you know, all the teams in the league. I mean, you've seen even with Derry, you know, Derry have got, you know, they've beat Crusaders um, this season and Sion Mills and, you know, the teams at the bottom are beating the teams at the top. So we knew it was going to be a different, a different sort of season and it was going to be much tougher. And obviously we had Cliftonville in the two cups and we managed to knock them out, which was obviously great. But um, it was difficult games. It's not been an easy road by 
by any stretch. Yeah, and you know, obviously the reward of winning the league last year was getting to play in the Champions League this year. And even with this new structure, how did you find playing in the Champions League, you know, a competition many people grew up with and, you know, really want to aspire to play in? How was that for you, playing in it at such a young age? It was an incredible feeling. Um, you know, we knew that we were playing two, two very big teams. Um, so obviously, you know, beating uh, Cluj at the end was good for the coefficient. Um, but it was an experience that I've just never it was so hyped up and it was so big and it was amazing to be a part of and you know to make my Champions League debut at 18 you know it's something probably not many people can say they've done so uh, it was really good Yeah it looked like an unbelievable trip and obviously getting the win in the end you know it was certainly worth the trip and you know going back to you personally this season you've had a great goal scoring run um what do you think you put that down to obviously you know this maybe is your first full year um starting up front for Glen Torn is it that being able to you know have that year to bed in is it having great service you know when you have Daniel Maxwell or Wayne on the wings you're bound to score goals or is it you know the hard work you've been putting in throughout the years uh to be honest I think it's just a really healthy mixture of, of the three of those. Uh, obviously had a settling in season, um, not last season, but the season before. I was sort of coming off the bench as an impact player, but I was really young then. And then last season sort of got my starting place, but I was sort of starting on the wing, um, which I, I couldn't really score as many goals from the wing. And then I finally got my chance to play up front. Um, and I would say just sort of working with Kenny this year uh, and Dean and, and Gary, all the coaches at NI has brought me on as well. Um, and then obviously like having great service is also very, very helpful because, you know, I'm just in the right place at the right time to put the ball in the net, but you need someone to actually pass it to you in the right place. Yeah, you know, a lot of your goals having watched seem to come from inside the box. So you're definitely an instinctive finisher. What do you think has been your favourite goal you've scored so far this season? Probably the one against Derry City, which was from outside the box. Um, I don't know if I was playing up front. I think I might have been playing winger. I sort of just cut in and it was from outside the box. That was probably my favourite finish. Yeah, and who has been your toughest opponent so far um, in the league? And then obviously we'll come on to talk about Northern Ireland, but you can mention anyone you've come up against so far in your time away with them. Um, well, I suppose... Cliftonville obviously with the team that they have has been very very tough but to be honest I would say the toughest opponent to beat in the league is Crusaders and you know when we play them every time it's it's 1-0 or you know 2-1 there's always only really a goal in it uh, and they're just a very you know well-structured team to sort of sit in and um, you know we struggle to score against them this season and um, we got there in the end obviously I remember I scored to make it 1-0 and then it was they equalised. It was 1-1 and it was like the 90th minute Casey scored a cracker to win. You know, that's it was so, so tough that game. But they're probably the toughest opponent, I would say, in the league. Yeah, you know, I can vouch for that. Having seen Cliff Ball kind of struggle past them in the last few games, they are just so rock solid defensively. Um, yeah. Obviously, you mentioned the squad at Glen Thorne. What's it like playing with some of the players? You know, you've brought back Lauren Wade, Chloe McCarran. I'm sure it's just a dream, the quality that runs throughout the squad. Yeah, I mean, it obviously brought quality to the team uh, at the start of the season. I think we needed, you know, 
an extra push going into the season because Cliftonville had got new players and, you know, teams were sort of restructuring. And although we had a good squad, I think we needed just a wee bit more. And last season and this season, the the whole thing from the start has been it's not going to be the starting eleven that wins us this, this league. It's going to be the team. And when you look at our bench, like, it's incredible because there's internationals sitting on our bench, like, who can come on, um, which is just insane. So you never take your place for granted. And I think that's another reason maybe why I've sort of pushed on this year because, you know, there's people that could easily play in my position. So you have to sort of constantly be looking over your shoulder. Yeah, and, you know, so many of the players you mentioned are internationals, both at Glenthorne and then going away with Northern Ireland. Does that help, you know, foster a team spirit, not just at Northern Ireland, but bring it back to Glenthorne? You know, you must be so close because you play so much football together. Definitely, we're all very close. Um, even, you know, Chloe and Lauren, before they sort of came to the Glens this season, I only really got to see them at NI. And so you only get the, you, you know, you have 10 days away. And by the time you've talked to everyone, you don't really get to know them on a personal level. But I would say, you know, we've definitely got closer um, having time to talk to them at the Glens. And then when you go away with NI, it's even, it's a good team spirit there. But you know, we've just been away with NI and we've all came back on a high. So the team spirit's definitely very high. Yeah, and we'll move on to talk about Northern Ireland. You know, you've obviously been talking about your journey through the ranks. How did it feel when you got, you know, that first call up? Can you kind of talk us through the process? Like, you'd been in and around the squads as you've been talking about. Did you know, you know, that call up was coming? I actually didn't. Um, to be honest, uh, when Kenny brought me into the room, tell me that I was in the squad if it's the Faroe Islands it was actually this time a year ago in September Um, he was like you're in the squad he says to be honest I wasn't planning on having you in any of my squads for at least another year and a half you know just developing as a player but he said you've done so well when we came back from lockdown we started training with that again and I just sort of I trained really hard over lockdown uh, and it really helped me on the pitch so I was performing well and the great thing about um, NI is that your place is, you know, maybe before people just would have constantly been in the squad, whereas, you know, people are in and out now, depending on how well they're playing. It's based on, you know, merit, how well you're doing. And that's what I really love about the squad. Yeah. And were you nervous before you played against Scotland? You know, you came on and obviously the show really just goes around that wee skill you did near out the touchline. How was that, you know, in a packed team view, <laughs> being able to play against Scotland, you know, with so many players who are playing in the WSL? I'm sure it was a great experience. Yeah, I, I actually didn't know he was going to, I didn't know whether he's going to put me on or not. He sort of said, you know, I'm because it's a friendly, you know, I'm really going to try and put you on. And it sort of got to that stage in the game there was like 10 minutes left. I was sort of like, you know, there's no way he's going to put me on now. And I was just sitting in the chair and Dean was like, get ready. And I was like, what? And then by the time I took off everything and put my jersey on, I didn't actually have time to think about what was happening. And then I'd forgot to put my shin guards in and <laughs> had to run back and do that. It was all a wee bit flustered. And then I actually didn't have time to be nervous. So it was good the way it happened. Um, but yeah, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, and that skill, you know, that'll be on your highlight rate forever. Any video comes up. <laughs> if anybody hasn't seen it, we'll, we'll attach it to the Sporty Scoop on social media because that, that needs to be shared about. 
Um, but, <laughs> but then obviously, you know, coming in to the recent qualifying games, you made your first start for Northern Ireland at the National Stadium. How was that in front of 4,000 people? I'm sure it was a dream come true. It was incredible. Like I've never, ever experienced anything like it. To be honest, I'm glad that I didn't start for the seniors up until that point because, you know, to look back and be able to say I made my first senior start at Windsor Park, I'm not sure there's many people, like there's very, very few that could say that happened. And um, I definitely wasn't expecting to start either. Um, I didn't start the first game and, you know, he was just trying different things because obviously with Simone being out, you know, he has to try different things and different options up front. Um, and I think it was, you know, he put his trust in me to start at Windsor Park and obviously he knew that I'd be nervous and the, you know, the heightened tension of it being at Windsor and the expectations is, is a lot as well. But he put, you know, trust in me and, you know, thankfully we got the job done. Yeah. And what has the atmosphere been like? And you've been able to sample in the last two games, you know, properly, obviously there were a few people in before that due to COVID, but first at Larne and then at Windsor Park, you know, the fans have really come out in full force to show their support. Yeah. I mean, the, the fans are really amazing. Obviously 4,000 people, it's a lot of noise and we feel it on the pitch, you know, sometimes, you know, you're feeling tired or you're chasing the ball a wee bit and the crowd just give you a wee extra, like, bit of motivation almost and you do something right and the crowd goes mad and it gives you that wee bit more you know just sort of pushes you on and when you're walking out and the crowd is cheering and it just really it gets you going and you're ready so the crowd are amazing and you know it's just not the same without them yeah and I'm sure you know there's going to be a raucous atmosphere when you go to Wembley I'm sure there's going to be many fans going are you really looking forward to that and is it a game or you're looking to improve upon the last result, you know, it's a competitive game this time, and are you going there with the ambition of getting something from it? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, I want to get picked for the squad first, um, which would be just to get there and be in the squad is is the first goal for me. Um, I know that it's going to be, you know, a lot. It's going to be the biggest crowd that I've ever seen in terms of being on the pitch, but um, I think we're setting our goals high and being ambitious I know we got beat I think it was like 6-0 um, in a friendly but even since then I feel like we've came on and I think that we can really get something out of the, the game especially against Austria I think that it could be a game where we could get something out of it and I think we could really give England a run for their money yeah, you know, obviously the momentum's with Northern Ireland at the minute. The games, I think it's six or seven and one in a row. You know, that's unheard of. Um, but how does it feel? You know, is that momentum really carrying you through games? And obviously those two wins were crucial because they were at home. But does that take belief in the games against, you know, Austria and England, the harder games in the group? And if you come away with those with points, you know, you're really looking at potentially qualifying for the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that England are going to be probably the toughest opponent you know the class that they have in that team they have the best players in the world um I feel like Austria is definitely a game where we can get some points out of it um but you know to be part of such an amazing group and you know I think we've done really really well and I think sort of the momentum that we've had it gives us the extra push because you know before when we were losing games people didn't really expect much Whereas now there's an expectation on us. You know, you've qualified for the Euros. 
people expect performances and, and wins now, which is something maybe we weren't used to. You know, it's taken a while for us to get used to having that on our shoulders because before we were always the underdog. Yeah, and you know, you've mentioned Alexis Simone. What is it like being able to train and play with her and Rachel Furnish, you know, players who have gone over to England and thrived and, you know, scored so many goals? I'm sure that's only helping you push on, you know, they're the kind of kind of players you want to become when you're older. Yeah, I mean, I remember being really nervous going into the first camp with Simone because I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to keep up with her. Like she's incredible she's an incredible player. And, you know, in training, I remember this one particular moment where I made like a wrong run and Simone was like, it's all right, mate, just do this. And she showed me how to do it. And then after I'd done it right, and you know, they help you. And, you know, it's not like you don't feel, obviously going into it, you feel a wee bit like you're going to feel intimidated, but it's not intimidating at all. And Rachel Furness is an incredible leader on and off the pitch. I think that's so obvious. You can see that uh, from the stands and um, she's helped us a lot as well to sort of gel into the team. Yeah, how crucial has it been having her, the likes of Demi Vance and Cara Hamilton back from injury? You know, you talked about the competitiveness of the squad for places. It's really ramped up recently with all those also returning from injury. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a good thing to have them back because, you know, there's almost sort of like now in the team, there's two or three players that can play the same position and it's not an obvious choice anymore. Like, before you would have said this player is always going to start here no matter what whereas now there's two or three players that can do a very very good job in that position quality players so we're all sort of fighting for our jerseys and obviously it's all you know we're all friends at the end of the day but you know you want to be in that starting 11 and to have a good player beside you pushing you on um it helps you to grow as a player and as a person as well just having them as a friend to push you on yeah, and, you know, taking you back to qualifying for the Euros, what was it like, the scenes at the final whistle against Ukraine? You know, it was unbelievable watching it from home. What was it like being there and actually being part of it? Being part of it, it was amazing. Um, just the sort of, for me, obviously I didn't I didn't put a foot in the pitch, but I still felt like I was part of that team because obviously I was there for every cha- like training session. And so I wasn't one bit upset, you know, all the sort of younger players, like 18, 19 year olds, I don't think we realized how big it was until the final whistle went. And we've seen the likes of a few of the older players, Lauren Wade, Sarah McFadden, Julie Nelson, Rachel Furness, all sort of like just burst into tears. And I was like, then I burst into tears because they were so emotional. And then that made me emotional. And, you know, we all got in a big team huddle and everyone's crying. And I was like, this is so big. Like, and I didn't really, and I know it's the Euros, but I suppose I didn't really think about how big of a deal it is and how hard these girls worked all their life to get to that stage. Yeah. And, you know, how much of getting to the Euros can be attributed to Kenny and his staff? You know, since he's come in, there's been such an uptake in form and there seems to be a style of play. You know, how good a manager is he to work with and with his son, Dean, as well? Yeah, I mean, they're all, I mean, they're top quality coaches, obviously. Like, you can see the change in our play. You know, we're sort of more of, you know, a Northern Ireland team that's attacking, which is very, very rare, you know. Um, before, you know, I would say we would have been a very, let's just go out and keep the score as low as we can. And I remember going to watch Kenny's first game in charge um, and they played Norway. 
way at the start of the campaign, like 2019, and they got beat like 6-0 or something. And, you know, we were trying to play out from the back and I'd never seen Northern Ireland play like it before. And I remember thinking, what is going on here? Like, why are they doing that? And then they kept on doing it. And the more we done it, the more we got better at it. And now I would say we're, you know, we're really good at it. And it's a way that I feel like we could play this way against any team. But at the start, it was so new. We were all sort of like, what the heck? But it's it's worked and it's got us to the Euros and hopefully it's going to get us to the World Cup. Yeah, and, you know, obviously you're not there yet. There's still like a year to go. But what would it mean to you to make the Euro squad and get to play in such a prestigious competition? It would mean the world to me, obviously. Like, it would be a dream come true. I'll only be 19 at the time still. So, you know, to go to the Euros as a 19-year-old, with the players that I'd be going with and the players that you'd be playing against. I just don't think there's anything that would compare to it. Um, obviously, the World Cup, that's a long way off. And to get to the Euros, to I just feel like it's came at such a perfect time for me because I was able to take the year out of uni to really focus on getting there next year. So it's came at a really, really crucial time for me. And I feel like everything happens for a reason. And, you know, it's... It's just came at just the perfect time for me. And, you know, between now and then, what are kind of your plans? You know, obviously you have the two cup finals coming up and I know I've read your article um, in the Belfast Live saying about how you want to be a teacher when you're older, but those plans are obviously on hold until then. Is it just full focus on football? And then after the year, the Euros in the summer, then it happens. Yeah, um, just full focus on that for now. Um. I'm going to the gym, you know, we have a gym program to be doing for NI and um, I sort of do some coaching with the IFA throughout the week. So that just ties me over. And then I obviously have Glens and when the season's over with Glens, you know, the training's going to be a lot more intense with Northern Ireland. Um, and then I think we're going professional in January um, with Northern Ireland. So that's obviously a big opportunity and I want to try and get myself in for that, which is the first step. Yeah, and, you know, that in time for the Euros would obviously be ideal to really prepare you for going away, you know, especially as you'll be competing against so many professional sides when you're there. Yeah, I mean, probably all the teams that we're going to be playing against have probably a full team of professionals. I would say we're probably one of, if not the only team going, that, you know, we're not all professionals. You know, we have NHS workers, we have, like all sorts of workers who, you know, they go out and do their day job and then they play football at night. And I, you know, I would sort of look up to those players more in terms of the sacrifices that they make and, you know, getting up early mornings, having a Wednesday night game and having to get up at seven for work the next morning. Um, that to me is, you know, an inspiration. Yeah, you know, I think that's definitely added to the whole underdog story throughout Northern Ireland and why it's been such an unreal journey getting to the Euros. Carrie, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on and, you know, best of luck for the end of the season. Not against Clickenbach, but uh, <laughs> um, for the international games as well. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. So I'm now joined by QUB student Rory Morrow. Rory, we're going to discuss Emma Raducanu you know, the prodigious um, tennis talent who created history earlier this month, winning the US Open at the age of 18. She won the title without dropping a set, and she's the first woman to do so at the US Open since Serena Williams in 2014. 
what did you make of her performance throughout the tournament? It was really for someone. It's really for someone so young, like our age, or not even a bit younger than us, actually. You know that your uni students. It was just astounding. It was it was brilliant because you sort of she said it herself. She had a plane tickets booked for before. Like before she got, she got way further than even she thought she'd go. She was in, I heard she had to do, she had to qualify to actually make the tournament to participate and then to go on and win it. It's just, it's, it is really like a fairy tale because it's, it, who would have backed it? Who would have seen it coming? Like yeah, nobody. You know, the first qualifier to ever win a Grand Slam tournament in the Open Era and the first woman in the Open Era to win the second major tournament she's ever entered. It just begs belief. If you did back her, you would be a very, very rich person right now. <laughs> you would. It is just, yeah, her all around, her all around, we all know with everyone who watches Raducanu, her tennis game is phenomenal and the tactics and just the all around athleticism is very... It's very well-rounded, but what really impresses me is just she's really well-rounded off the court as well. She's really modest, She's but she's not afraid. I saw on Friday, was it, she sacked or didn't sack, but she parted with her coach who won the year. So she's not afraid to make those big decisions. Whether or not it works, this time we'll see. But it's really, I don't know, it's really just, I think it's very brave, very mature to make, to be able to make those decisions so young in the career because now she'll be maybe earmarked a bit more as Wimbledon and everything gears up and approaches and it's sort of how does she deal with this new stardom yeah I was going to ask you about her splitting up with her coach Andrew Richardson you know she said she wanted someone more experienced um, and that just shows you know she's really trying to get to the top exactly it's um, yeah because like I suppose a bit like the caddy in golf, it's sort of you don't know it differs for each person, and maybe certain players have better spells with somebody they've always known, or maybe I suppose to keep to be to continue being successful, I think you need to evolve the times, and maybe just across sport. And she's certainly about making the change. It's that it's that it's that type of step she's taken. Yeah, and she's up to 22 in the world. You know, how far can she go? This was her first, you know, her first bit, second major tournament, but first big win, you know. Are we mm. kind of going to see, is she one of the players of the changing of the guard, you know, from the older players like the Williams sisters, you know, is Radicanu and others who are yet to come up, you know, are they ushering in a new era of tennis of these younger players who are going to dominate the world of tennis just like the Williams sisters did? Yeah, it's sort of you get the you get the impression that it's a generational a generational shift is sort of slowly occurring. We saw, I remember watching Wimbledon and Serena Williams just um, besotted by injury, and you can just see sort of how just a phenomenal player, a really someone who's really made a difference to the game of tennis and especially for the women's game. But just sort of age catching up and on the decline a wee bit now. And Venus Williams as well. Venus Venus is the older one, I think. Mm-hmm. Just marginally. But no, because Radicanu's 
the the girl she beat in the final was also really young, wasn't she? she was yeah, like I mean, she, yeah, she's another one who was, you know, a rank outsider to even get that far in the tournament. Never mind go the whole way to the final. Exactly, I, th- I think it's very much that youth is sort of coming through and sort of on the up and sort of the Williams sisters are iconic, but they're now they're now also not at the top. Yeah, and you know we'll move along from tennis as much as we love Raducanu. We'll see how she fares in future tournaments, and we'll move into the world of football. My always my favorite sport to discuss. Um, we'll start with the North London derby because I feel like this was one of the biggest games of the weekend. You know how good were Arsenal in the first half when they were three 0 up, but also yes. how bad were Tottenham? Well, it's sort of a thinking about which way to go with this. On one hand. Tottenham were abysmal. They really, they lacked any sort of gumption. Sort of, I don't know. Harry Kane's not collapse, but his sort of is his when he's off for him. Tottenham are off for him, and that's a problem. We've seen it time and time again. When Harry Kane's not playing well, or Son's not playing well, the team that Tottenham team does not play well, and it's just showing. Their defense is a mess, and. Oh, they sort of they won. I think they won the first three games, and I saw I heard Jermaine Genus sort of giving off that that was a misimpression, and it looks that way now because it's that's three. That's the third game in a row now. They've conceded three goals. That's real, and London derbies as well. They've been yeah. taken taken apart. And you know, Nuno was oh. brought in. Um, to kind of you know usher in a more defensive mm. solidity after mm. last year, you know under Mourinho they were leaking goals and he was brought yes. in to do this. This was you know he wasn't going to play the free form football. It was mm. counter attack would be the style. But now you're just kind of wondering you know what is their style of play? Obviously Arsenal's yeah. has been questioned, but you know they proved today, well yesterday, sorry that you know when they are attacking, when they counter attack at pace, they are unstoppable. But Spurs seem to kind of lack an identity. Yes, it's very. Arsenal sort of, um, if you compare, I think a striking comparison would be look at Aubameyang's performance to Kane's. Aubameyang was full of life. He was really, the youngsters were great. Smith Rowe is, <laughs> Smith Rowe is what Arsenal wanted Ozil to be <laughs> like for so long. Uh, he is just energetic, but he is, so, his passing range is touching, is his control is magnificent, magnificent, and it's just it's a joy to watch. It's great to see Bukayo Saka playing well again after the Euros. Um, sort of, he had a tough start, but he sort of rejigged. Um, but Aubameyang sort of he'd been on a bad run. He didn't do so well after Christmas last season, uh, but he was full of life, back to his old self. The pace. It was it was it was peak Abamyang yesterday. He was tearing his finish was really, really quality. Yeah, and um, go ahead. You go. Um no, I was just gonna move it on to another exciting game that we had at the weekend. Um Liverpool Brantford. We'll start with that one because it was chaos is how I would describe <laughs> that and um, no defending whatsoever it's probably you know I'm a Liverpool fan and it's one of the worst defensive performances I've seen from Liverpool in a very long time but credit to Brentford because you know they came out with 
the idea that we're going to get something from this game, and they exactly. almost stole it at the end with Tony's goal. Yeah, it was yeah. disallowed. Yeah, Tony, Tony had the late goal disallowed. It was, yeah, it was really uncharacteristic. It was. It reminded me of last season and sort of the chaos, the defensive chaos that was there because, well, with Brentford's second goal, I think it was a cross came in and somehow. It was only there was only Trent Trent Alexander Arnold back there to defend, and I think there were three Brentford players going in the air as well. And when you're outnumbered by that much, it's inevitable there's going to be a big chance running a goal as as it happened. Sort of that's the first time though since Van Dyke's been back that Liverpool have looked leaky. And it's about I don't know because Brentford were very direct. And they broke them down a lot repeatedly, so maybe, maybe they hadn't been tested proper that thoroughly before. So maybe perhaps it should be more praise for Brentford's adventure and their willingness to make Liverpool squirm. Yeah, and I think we'll only know at the end of the season whether that's a good point Liverpool have come away with or, you know, disastrous mm. to throw away all three. But another mm. big game at the weekend was the Man City-Chelsea game. Um, you know, I really didn't see Man City get one over at Chelsea at home, but they really did a job on them. You know, their high press caused Chelsea problems no. and Chelsea couldn't get out of their own half. Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea sort of came into it, maybe there'd have been, there'd have been a bit of... It'd have been, a, it'd have been a, not as bad, but it'd have been a wee rough patch for City before sort of with the Pep Guardiola sort of uh, saying about the fans uh, not having enough uh, atmosphere and so that was and then the drop points for Southampton the week before so there was and Chelsea were coming into it sort of red hot on form and they were really stifled um, and the, the Chelsea they didn't have a notable chance I don't think Lukaku was maybe he was well handled but I don't, I don't think he was well supplied without the mid Chelsea midfield is great, but without Mason Mount, there's no thrust in it to get them up the pitch. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, said, having said all that, City were very good. City looked imperious. Yeah, uh, it should Grealish. have been far more than one. <laughs> yes, Grealish is. Uh, Mendy made a really great reaction save. Grealish had a curling shot, um, but it was. Yes, that's the thing. The City's. Um, only flaw would be will be maybe regret and not signing Kane or not signing an elite striker. The irony yeah. is that Jesus scored there uh, playing as a wi- a striker converted to a winger. Um, so maybe it was they, the least thing Pep Guardiola ever needed another winger. Like, come on, <laughs> <laughs> really didn't need that. He's got a cupboard of midfielders out here just to win to train them on. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I definitely think you know that was a statement performance from Man City, um, especially after the Southampton defeat. And I think you know they're going to be up another. They've got another big one coming up. There's another big one this weekend. Liverpool's Man City is on Sunday, I think. Yeah, and that is if City is that at Anfield. Yeah, if City go to Anfield, go to full Anfield and win. I reckon they'll. I reckon they'll win. I reckon they'll take it. Yeah, but especially because they have Liverpool full Anfield. They won't let them win. Yeah, and City have PSG midweek away as well. I think I seen an article saying this is Ooh, the three toughest away fixtures in in football, and it'd be hard to disagree. Really, um, though, Pep's sort of the tenure already has been an outstanding success with Guardiola's time there. But really, if he doesn't win the Champions League with the money spent. 
questions will be asked. It'll just be a big question mark over the over the tenure, regardless of how many, because he's been outstanding in the Premier League, but his European success and then will just be questioned a wee bit. Yeah, and it'll be intriguing to see what kind kind of team mm. he goes with during week and then at the weekend. We'll go to the other side of Manchester, and it was a defeat for United, surprisingly at home. Um, Aston Villa played quite well in this game, I have to say. United weren't at their best, but mm. when you have a penalty in the last minute and you see Bruno Fernandes stepping up, you think you're coming away with a point in that game. But what an abysmal miss! <laughs> it was, yeah, it might it probably it's probably still coming down. Um, <laughs> Really, it was very unfernandez like he'd only missed one before before that, I think. It was but it summed up United's performance. It was very sloppy, very pedestrian. Villa were the team. Villa deserved to win, I think. They were the team industrious, they were creating chances. Their wing backs, uh, cash and target would caused United a lot of problems. Ronaldo he didn't get it. Like Lukaku, he didn't get service or he didn't get in the game. Um, and maybe I was surprised. He did. I was surprised Ronaldo didn't take the penalty a wee bit. Yeah. But when you when Fernandez is that good a record, you'd, you'd back him. Yeah, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said before he'd back him with his mortgage. Um, so I hope he didn't at the weekend. <laughs> um, looking kind of near the bottom half of the table, and you know, I was reading there's still five teams without a win so far. Southampton, Newcastle, Leeds, probably the most surprisingly out of the bunch. Burnley and Norwich, you know, surely yes. three or four of them, you're tipping to go down, especially the likes of maybe Norwich, who have just looked inept at this level again. Norwich, yeah, Norwich look very, yeah, as you say, they look inept. Um, I don't think, I think they've only scored two goals maybe and they're conceding. It's really poor. It's the, the club itself is well run, but this the Premier League quality is just being brutally exposed uh, right now. It's hard to see them staying up. Um, Leeds, I still, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, Leeds, I think Leeds will be okay. Just, Bielsa, Bielsa knows who's playing. Maybe they, you could say they'll be they're being it's a physical exertions or they um what they, what they call murder ball training sessions repeatedly. It's what the third third or fourth year that uh, Bielsa style. Um, so maybe the aggressiveness is that after the Euros, Calvin Phillips especially maybe that's taken a toll. But it's just the defensive. It leads just need to wise up defensively. Yeah, well. they were so open against West Ham, having dominated that game to go on and lose and mm. you know, the damn stages of it. It's been so disappointing. But I think as well, you know, Burnley, I do see them eventually stand up. Let's be honest, they always kind of put together a run. But she always keeps them afloat. Yeah. Yes, Southampton and Newcastle, I'm not so sure about Southampton. I see signs, but Newcastle, they just look like such a toxic club and eventually it seems their lack of investment may catch up on them. Yes, it's sort of Newcastle is a downward appears to be a downward spiral from Mike Ashley at the top filtering down. Um I feel I feel a bit for Steve Bruce because he's he's dealt a rotten hand with transfers and he's had bad injury luck the last last season especially. Yet he doesn't he doesn't really help himself either. The back five it works but it's very contagious. It's sort of the big six teams, maybe Arsenal and Tottenham, especially, you shouldn't you shouldn't fear them anymore. Like you can, because they are 
weak defensively, as we talked about, you can go there and expose them and go for more than just a nil-nil. Um, and I think that's what Newcastle fans want to see more. They want to see more of what Alan St. Maximum brings in them. Just excitement and endeavour and a bit of quality and a bit of composure. Yeah, um, he's been their standout player so far. And I think, as Steph mentioned, to go to Raul Jimenez, you know, scored his first goal um, since coming back after that horrific injury last year. And what a goal it was, you know, sat the defender down and put it away. And that was a big win for Wolves because they've kind of struggled so far as well. Very, a very big win. It's um, And it's great, hopefully, and this will give them and Jimenez the confidence to build and build and go. The goal was... Really, really good. And well, it was really shoddy defending, but it was the skill of Jimenez. Hopefully, that will be him back in full flow. Wolves, they looked very solid. Southampton had a lot of possession, didn't really do that much with it. Um, Connor Cody was really vocal as he usually is. Um, and yeah, Wolves sort of not as good as they were at the peak Nuno years, but. Pretty stable. Yeah, and just finally, um, to finish off the Premier League roundup, we're recording this on a Monday, so um, we don't know the result yet, but Brighton have the chance to go top of the table playing Crystal Palace in a derby. Like, who would have said that at the start of the year? You know, what a what a start to the campaign they've had. I think it's their best ever in the Premier League. And, you know, Graham Potter's really proven himself as a great manager down there. Yes, it's... Um, Brighton last season, they were very... They were very nice to watch. Their play was lovely and aesthetic and visually pleasing. You'd be ha- you'd happily watch them, but they they just didn't put the ball in the net, and that's why they were so perilously close to the relegation zone for all of last season. This year, same thing. No, this year, same. The play is still fantastic. Only now they're putting the ball in the net, and that's making such a difference. Um, maybe it was just the getting the confidence up or having players adjust. Danny Welbeck, they've got a good forward line now. Uh, Neil Mope has been there second season, maybe. He's adjusted well. Um, he's a real nuisance to play against. Danny Welbeck has got his zip back. He's got his fitness. He knows the league. He knows weaknesses. He's still got the pace as well, the physicality. Uh, Aaron Connolly is a good youngster. Uh, exciting prospect to bring on. They've got Trossard and Gross in midfield. Goals from midfield are so invaluable for those teams struggling not to just rely on one one striker. Um, so the signs are good for, for Brighton and Potter has really, really proven himself so far. Yeah, it's set up to be another interesting Premier League season so far. Rory, thanks so much for joining us and I'm sure we'll welcome you back on the show soon. Pleasure. Thank you. To close the show, here's a brief roundup of some local sport which you may have missed at the weekend. We start with football, and it was another exciting week in the Danske Bank Irish Premiership. Cliftonville continued to set the pace at the top of the table, courtesy of a 1-0 home win over Warren Point. Ryan Kern scored the only goal of the game to help maintain the Reds' unbeaten start to the season. Lauren and Linfield are not far behind them, but both sides dropped crucial points on Saturday after goalless draws with Carrick and Glenavon. Crusaders were the big winners this weekend, beating Glentorn 3-0 at the Oval to continue their recent upturn in form. There was also a huge first win of the season for Dungannon, who beat fellow baseman side Portadown 4-1 at Shamrock Park to leave Matthew Tipton's side still chasing a first win of the season. 
Balamina are also winless so far after suffering a derby day humbling against Coleraine, who welcomed supporters back to the showgrounds for the first time this season with a 3-0 victory. To rugby, and Ulster won their first United Rugby Championship game in Belfast on Friday night, beating Glasgow Warriors 35-29 in an end-to-end contest at the Kingspan Stadium. There were 15,000 spectators in the stands, the largest crowded rugby game in Ireland since March 2020, helping to create a raucous atmosphere. Ulster scored six tries, but continued to be pegged back by a dogged Warriors side. Dan McFarland lamented a sluggish first half, and he was forced to turn to his bench at the break, with the subs making a telling difference in the second period, especially front rows Eric O'Sullivan and Rob Herring, alongside debutant lock Mick Kearney. Their introduction sparked Ulster's best spell of the game, with unanswered tries from Marty Moore and Nick Timoney seeing them open up a 13-point lead. They held on for the victory despite an onslaught in the last 10 minutes, with the game being played exclusively in their half. Crucial turnovers in the end helped them win the game, but it was a rather flawed performance with lots of unforced errors. Ultimately, however, ruthless scoring helped them seal an important first home win. Finally, there was disappointment for Rory McIlroy at the weekend as he was part of the European team thrashed 19-9 by the United States in the Ryder Cup. He lost both his foursomes and four-ball matches on Friday, but recovered to win his singles game over Xander Schofield on Sunday. He was, however, powerless to prevent the US cruising to the title, but he does vow to play in the Ryder Cup for many years to come. That's all we have time for in this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.